I'm Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue-generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. My name is Nicole Matthews, and I'm delighted to be sitting here today with one of my great mentors in my life, Miss Corrine Petty from the University of San Diego. Um, for those of you who don't know my backstory, when I was just a youngin, I worked here at USD thanks to Corrine. She plucked me um, into a project uh, that was when uh, Clinton and Dole were both here on campus for the presidential um, debate one of the highlights of my career and that started my uh, five years that I spent here at the University of San Diego before I went on and did other things but Corrine has been an amazing mentor and friend to my family for a long time so I'm thrilled to be sitting across the table from Corrine so welcome Corrine. Welcome thank you. Yes so um, I've had the pleasure of knowing you a long time but tell other people who you are and what you do here at the University of San Diego. Well, my current title is I'm the Associate Vice President for Advancement Marketing and Strategic Partnerships. Essentially, I'll break down the two parts of that um, illustrious title. Advancement Marketing, advancement's another word for development or fundraising. Um, Marketing, the fundraising effort here at USD, the university has just completed a $300 million campaign. And so uh, myself, along with my team, was responsible for essentially essentially all of the marketing uh, profile raising around that fundraising effort and specifically the events to either um, promote the campaign to potential donors and prospects, but also to recognize those who had supported the campaign in the very end. Uh, And then strategic partnerships is really focused on specifically corporate fundraising, uh, strategic partnerships, for example, that might be with uh, Coca-Cola, who is the university on-campus beverage partner. U.S. Bank is our our financial partner. And uh, then for the various events that we put on and produce, we will go out and seek corporate sponsorship. So those would fall under strategic partnership efforts as well. Great. So um, let's just start off with something fun. So tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of what would surprise us. What would we wouldn't know about you, about you when we first meet you? 
Um, I think that perhaps people would be surprised to hear that I came from um, a family and a college experience that was very outdoor oriented. Um, I majored in natural resources, planning interpretation from Humboldt State University. So my Humboldt honey days may look in conflict with maybe how people perceive me today. Um, I've taken courses in taxidermy. Uh, I've done some things that I just think people would maybe be surprised if if they know me in this the the manner in which I go to work every day and what I do um, to the extent by which my outdoor experience. Yeah. Wasn't there some textbook illustrations? Yes, and then I emphasized in college scientific illustrations. Okay. So um, my senior project in college was actually doing a series of botanical wildflowers um, up in a northern part of the state, and those, from my understanding are still on display at the state park that uh, visitors center there where people go nice. so yeah so that's kind of fun. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, prior to USD, though, you were at Anheuser-Busch. Correct. Specifically, Bush Entertainment Corporation, which was the SeaWorld and Bush Gardens parks. So given my background coming out of college, um, I really wanted to be Ranger Rickette. Not Ranger Rick, Ranger Rickette. I really wanted to work in a national park doing interpretive programs um, in that particular year. I'll date myself right now. In 1985, the federal government was... Um, um, shutting down a lot of those interpretive programs. And we were encouraged to go to Santa Clara where they had uh, like public safety. And I was not looking to carry a gun in a national park and write parking tickets. I known people in San Diego. So I essentially just said, well, then that's where I'll go. That's where I'll live. And thought that SeaWorld would be a perfect location because they had an education department and I could do interpretive tours and what have you there. Well, it's all about getting your foot in the door. And what was available at the time was an administrative assistant position in their corporate marketing and promotions office. That's where it all began. That's where it all began. Yes. So what was your role there and then how did you move up through the company? So, as I said, um, had had come in initially in an administrative support role, um, but we were in San Diego, but we were a corporate employee for SeaWorld. And at the time, Harcourt Brace Yovanovitch, the publishing company, owned the SeaWorld parks. And then they sold to Anheuser-Busch and specifically Bush Entertainment Corporation. At that point in time, they were looking for corporate employees to move to St. Louis, of which my direct boss did at the time, but the other individual who originally hired me left the company completely. So now they were down to two people running for nine theme parks. And before I knew it, I was moved up immediately as the manager of national promotions and corporate sponsorships on behalf of all nine Anheuser-Busch theme parks, okay. Bush Entertainment. So that's about the time I, you come into my life. Okay. I, I believe that. I mean, you were definitely with Anheuser-Busch at that when point. It, okay. Okay. And I remember to this day something you said because you were talking about how that's just like a crazy train. Like you have to get on that train and it's a lifestyle and it's all of those things. Correct. You talked about how like you're either on the train or you're not on the train. Mm -hmm. And if you're not on the train, there's a lot of people behind you who want to get on the train. Well, I actually had a boss say that to me. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. Yes. 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 Wait a minute. This is, I'm starting a family. Correct. And this is really where I want to be in my career. Yes. It was very much a crossroads at the time. Um, Like I said, they were looking for people to move to St. Louis. That really wasn't part of the plan at the time. Um, And as you uh, recall, yes, I was starting a family. And because I wasn't in St. Louis, they basically said, well, we will have you where we want you when we want you. And it was a ridiculous kind of um, thing at the time where I would be told, you know, in the morning that I was flying out to Chicago to meet with McDonald's and come back the next day. And I had just given birth to um, my first child, a daughter, and it it was not the way I was going to do this. Um, And you're right. The conflict was you were told straight out. Do you know how many people are lined about the door, you know, who, who would just clamor over this kind of role? And you start thinking that this is the only way. And how could I possibly step out and away from that um, when I've made it and you start, it's Plato's cave um, essentially. And then ultimately made the decision to leave because, it is not how I wanted to to lead my family. So only to find out that, you know what, you can do it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting as a, from a woman's perspective, right? Like you said, like I had made it, right? It was a, a very mm-hmm. high profile job mm-hmm. for an amazing. People call job. you back. Yeah. <laughs> they take your call. Oh. Right. All that kind of stuff. And then how you suddenly are like, nope, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I mean, I had a small version of that mm-hmm. when I was working at a law firm in San Diego and had a very high profile job. Yes. I had all the kind of things like I should have. And yet it wasn't where I wanted to be. And I had to get off that train, Yep. you know, and so what was that sort of that thinking like, or the discussion with your husband? Like, how did that kind of come to be where you were like, nope, I can't do this anymore? Well, I think, you know, my, my, my husband has always been incredibly supportive. And at that time, he essentially said, look, I will support you in what you want to do, but the manner in which you're doing this isn't working because I'm seeing the results. And seriously, I I was a hot mess when I'd either be getting on the plane to leave, you know, leave our daughter, leave just in this craziness. Um, And then when I got back, well, what did I miss or trying to play catch up or what have you? Um, And it, you really start to take a look at what are the values that are important to you because you, you're enamored with, with what you're being told are the values and the lifestyle that, that you want. Um, so it, it definitely was a crossroads, but I believe that I, I've never regretted that experience. I do believe that it has resulted in both my leadership style today. I think the one thing that any of the people who have worked with me over time, uh, women and men, is that I had always told myself as a result of that experience, if I ever am in a situation where I have a leadership role with other people, um, contributing to their ability to manage life, you know, life balance with work and stay at home or whatever you need to do, 
um, to not judge one way or another, but help that individual just find the balance. And it's different for everybody. Um, I think as women, sometimes we tend to, I think we overly judge one another with those choices that we've made. Not every woman can work full time. Not everybody wants to be a stay at home. And there's you know, middle ground as well. And so I, like I said, I think it's really been about attempting to aid people um, in finding how to make that balance work. Yeah. So you leave a, a crazy corporate America. Yes. And you land at the University of San Diego. Yes. Which is like probably night and day. Night and day. Given when you started. Absolutely. We're sitting in the offices at USD and um, I know when I was here back from 96 to 2000, it just felt like you were coming to work with your family every day. Correct. Very much a familiar Correct. place to be and now you know, understandably, it's run very much like a business. Yes. Right? And and becoming more so. So yeah. there's definitely some change um, afoot in that regard. And I've I've seen it all. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, I I did start when it was very much um, a family. It still feels um, that way. But I think the biggest thing at the time when I joined uh, USD, which was in 95. So I've been here 24 years yeah. now, which is amazing to think of. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was just sort of my next stepping stone and here I am yes but to that point what I think USD the opportunity it gave me is that I've always been one that have that has had a lot of ambition to just do something bigger better different than maybe what's been done before and what USD really allowed was for me with my you know own tenacity to make something happen so you're Right. Being a part of the presidential debate between Clinton and Dole and creating that um, luncheon with 800 people, you know, where we discuss the presidential debate process on the Democratic process. And then from there went on to create two Super Bowl events, uh, one of which then the second one, the second time around, resulted in the NFL adopting that. And it has now been coined the commissioner's luncheon. Um, so that was looking at the business of the Super Bowl, but bringing in people like uh, Steve Sable and um, Greg Gumbel and Michael Wilbon from Pardon the Interruption and Rick Riley to discuss the inside scoop of the business of the Super Bowl. And we um, held that in the Jenny Craig Pavilion right when it came on board. So we were able to attract a lot of people who were seeing that on campus for the first time. The only unfortunate thing is uh, we had Commissioner Tagliabue participate at the time who made it public that San Diego would no longer get to have a Super Bowl if we hadn't built a new stadium. Well, now we no longer have an NFL team. So um, and that 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 happened on my 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 event, my watch. So and here we are. Here we are. That's right. Here we are. So um, you are such a master at strategic partnership. And I I have learned early on in my career to really watch that in you and pay attention to that. And now in my own business and the work that I do, I'm very strategic partnership driven. Um, So talk a little bit about that's a kind of a unique science. Like Mm -hmm. taught you, how did you get away from drawing plants Mm -hmm. to, you know, making these multi-million dollar deals with Coca-Cola or U.S. Bank or... 
it really was my time with Bush Entertainment and being in those um, theme parks and the theme park industry. At the time, SeaWorld had Pepsi and um, Bush Gardens had Coca-Cola. And then you have Anheuser-Busch, who's the leading aluminum can manufacturer and recycler. So they decide we're going to keep both companies in each of these parks, respectively. I mean, these are individuals who can't even sit in the same room. So the, um, the understanding and the appreciation around the competitiveness of that, because that is not something that you really see in academia. Um, I was able to bring what I learned in that situation. The, uh, the other, I think, important part was when I was hired at USD, it was to come in in the capacity as director of corporate relations. So again, really focused on the corporate community. But because when I was at SeaWorld, I had so many people coming to me on a regular basis. Will you sponsor this? Will you give us tickets for that? Will you donate to this? And I was constantly having to evaluate how it was going to still meet bottom line business objectives. Well, when I came to USD, I realized they were not doing that in terms of how they were going out and asking companies because I'd been on that side. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to do this differently. This isn't approaching an alum or a parent and asking them to support you out of heartstrings. This is bottom line business oriented. So it was really taking that approach now. Why does Coca-Cola want to be on our campus? Well, look at who's going to be exposed to their product and hopefully be lifelong, you know, brand um, loyalists and drink Coca-Cola because, you know, they were 18 and they came on campus and that's all they were able to to um, get a hold of. So it was the concept around the competitive nature within businesses and how businesses look at why they would become a sponsor that then I adapted um, in an academic uh, environment, which is not always easy. <laughs> I am considered part of the dark side, I'm afraid. Um, and there is a real issue around corporatization of our you know, higher education institutions, but we try to balance it. You're most accustomed to seeing it on the athletic side. But what I brought to the table, I think, was creating these large events that we were going to do anyway mm -hmm. and get support and underwriting for them by making that case from a business standpoint, why a sponsor should get involved. Mm -hmm. So sponsorship is a lot of um, falls into a lot of the big ask, right? So mm -hmm. sort of the theme of our my podcast is the big ask. So talk about how you sort of set yourself up to make a big ask for a corporate partner for an event. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a process? I mean, I know by now you have a lot of relationships and probably you sure. some repeat, sure. repeat business, but let's say it's a brand new company that you have an opportunity to go after. So what's sort of your process for, for getting in front of them and then asking them to be a sponsor of a major event or an initiative here on campus? So interestingly enough, I think people don't often realize how much of um, your ability to prospect, you know, potential companies is out there in things that you see readily. Um, so I would have a, a sponsorship program developed. I'd have all my levels. I'd go back to those that have been involved in the past. That's very critical. You always want to manage those relationships because it's a whole lot easier to renew than it is to start from um, ground zero. But um, I probably drive family and friends of mine crazy 
because when I'm at a Padres game, what am I doing? I'm looking at sponsor signage. When I'm flipping through the business journal, who's sponsoring what? You know, and if it is a company that I'm not familiar with, but I'm seeing their name kind of come up um, time and time again, this frankly is exactly how uh, a few years ago, Symer, the company, the local company, now they're referred to as ASML, I essentially kept seeing them everywhere. I had no contact uh, with them and started researching this company that I knew very little about, got myself to who the decision maker is within their community relations area and formed a conversation and ultimately resulted in a a four-year partnership agreement that supported our School of Engineering, supported athletics, and then was a significant sponsor in our gala, our Founders Gala. So it was approaching them, though, with what was meaningful for them. And I learned that their number one thing was to have their employees feel good because retention, both employee recruitment and employee retention was was very critical for them because they're, they're such a high technical company. They really can't afford to lose people once they get them in those roles. So the, the manner in which their uh, employees would respond when they would see their name in Peco Park or coming to an athletic um, you know contest here at USD, that was a motivator. So it's critical to find out what is motivating the company that you're going after. But it really was first and foremost by just seeing them out there. Right, right. So it's not always necessarily that you have an alum that you know has a connection. You're making asks outside. Sometimes it's, yep. Sometimes it's, you know, that absolutely helps. Um, Working in a university environment where I have colleagues who oversee the parent program or the alumni program and they know relationships and they go, hey, you know, Joe Smith owns XYZ company. He might be prime um, to do something. And then you, you find out like, well, what are their interests? And, you know, depending on what the event is, sometimes they'll say, yeah, you know, this is something that I, I would be drawn to or no, this isn't exactly it. Well, you use that as an opportunity to figure out what it is because mm-hmm. guaranteed you've got something else yeah. that you could likely, you know, go after them yeah, for. Right, exactly. And it has to, like you said, it has to have a business sense too. Correct. I mean, you know, the alum might have some emotional connection, obviously. Right? right. So that could be the entree into the door, but maybe one year they do it, but they won't do it year over year. Correct. Unless they're really seeing that. Because the deliverables, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when um, I am dealing with an alum or a parent that's got some, you know, other uh, extension to the university, I'm definitely emphasizing the deliverables. And in some cases, maybe it's not so much, oh, you're going to get X amount of impressions or you'll get, you know, four tickets to the event or whatever it is. But in those cases, maybe the case to be made is that your support, which is helping to underwrite the event, if it's a fundraiser, is directly providing then support into student scholarships, and that will resonate. Mm -hmm. So your pitches are always kind of getting tweaked and tailored according to who you're talking to. And how different is business now that we have the power of the Internet, right? You can sit in your office and and be researching and cultivating. Absolutely. Have all that information before you go into a meeting. I mean, think about when you started your career. Mm -hmm. I certainly did. We didn't have that. 
no. Like at the phone book, um, yes. Like, yes. Yes. Uh, LinkedIn is huge, huge. Um, especially if you go in the little higher premium level and are able to do some of that work. Like I said, things that you may not think you already have access to yeah. um, in terms of doing that prospecting. Yeah. But I will say the Internet also um, in a lot of ways requires greater accountability. Um, you know, before you wanted to maintain fulfilling benefits because you were only as good as your word in terms of renewing. Now everybody is able to see everything. So how are you representing those companies that are tied to your event and and under promise and over delivering in terms of, you know, their sponsorship or their relationship with the institution? Yeah. So what are you working on right now that's exciting to you? Well, we have our annual wine classic that's coming up. It's in the 11th year. Um, definitely looking to raise some sponsorships for that. And then I'm going to be heavily involved in Homecoming Family Week in this this year in a way that I haven't been in the past um, because we are actually going through some reorganization within the division I work on right now. But I would say one of the most exciting things that is happening um, is that we are getting a special exhibit online from the British Museum and it is um, Renaissance Italian Masters by which we will have 41 prints uh, some phenomenal artists but the biggest one is we will have a Michelangelo print oh my gosh this is never a Michelangelo piece of art of any kind has never been to San Diego and most of these pieces have never even been in Southern California so it will come in September the 13th and it'll run through December 13th. Right now we are developing special programming around, you know, either private viewing events, um, but I am also working on sponsorships um, because this is really special, really unique. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity and um, I will be out heavily peddling this. So who made the big ask to make that happen? I will tell you, it was actually um, Bob Hohen and Hohen Galleries who has a strong relationship. This will be the third time we have been working with the British Museum um, with an exhibit that's on loan. Uh, the one just prior to this was the Rembrandt um, exhibit. So um, he made the big ask and he is obviously a, a huge donor and contributor to USD and speci specifically with our art galleries. So amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I th I'm sure you have someone in your house who's going to appreciate that. Your yes, exactly. Yes. The exhibit will be known as Christ, Life, Death, and Resurrection. And like I said, it'll open on September 13th. The exhibit itself will be open to the public. Um, so to have that kind of an exhibit on our university campus is, is just, we're really proud. Yeah, that's amazing. And it speaks to your diversity that, you know, it's one thing to be creating a partnership with, you know, the beverage on mm -hmm. campus, but then now shifting gears and thinking about who's the right people to get in front of in the art world. Exactly. That would benefit from that sort of experience. So I'm looking at all the museums, <laughs> their donor walls, their, their sponsors. You spend a lot of time in Bubble. Exactly. <laughs> and you can do a lot of that online. Yes, you Who are their patrons? Yep. Yes, you can. Um, let's back up a little bit mm -hmm. about mentors in your life. Um, who do you consider to be mentors in your life? Um, I would say I've had um, 
several individuals. Um, interestingly enough, they've always been men. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure what that means, but um, I there was an individual when I was with uh, Anheuser-Busch or, or with Bush Entertainment, who I actually then carried along uh, to much of the work that I've done at USD, and his name is Bob Laporta. Oh, yes. Who, um, you know, has quite a... a array of experience behind him in terms of he used to be the producer of the Mike Douglas show, if people even recall that. And so he was an individual that I would bring in um, for many of the events I'm talking about who created the content Mm -hmm. around what those events were like and um, recently brought him in as uh, 2017 for the Founders Gala, which happened to fall on Veterans Day. And we had a general um, who was an alum that I needed to have some very serious content and scripting around uh, this man. And and Bob was just the perfect person to bring in and do that. And we raised $1.3 million net for new veterans scholarship that was established that night. But people often ask me, is there there one thing that a, a mentor has said to you over the years? that has stuck with you. And uh, this is kind of a a special moment in that the university was having their 50th anniversary. I produced that event. Okay, see? (laughs) We we need to look at the list together because I'm sure we've got a lot of overlap. And we were having a a special event tied to the 50th anniversary. And Mrs. Joan Crock had had recently made a significant gift to the university to establish the Crock Institute for Peace and Justice. And so we were going out to her home, Bob and I, to film her, to get a testimonial on camera. And obviously, I I was very nervous about meeting her and, and interfacing with her. And he said something that I'll never forget, and that was, treat people like stars and stars like people. Mm. And ever since I have attempted to hold that in my mind because who is every, every day you Joes and Janes don't want to be treated like a star. And how many times have you come across, you know, a celebrity individual who just wants to be treated like a person. And so it was some sage advice. It totally, you know, just kind of took it down a notch for me. Um, and then the funny exchange that I had with her that followed, I, I thanked her so much for her generosity and told her about the event that we were having and how I'd hoped that she'd be able to attend. And she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, honey, I'd rather write you another $25 million check than to sit through another rubber chicken dinner. And I thought, well, we can, we can work with you on that. But you know, down to earth. And, and so it's those things in your career that you don't expect and people and moments, and then they stick with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so in this case, you know, I definitely would have to say Bob has been at the top of the list. So I have a Bob Laporta story. (laughs) So when I was here working at USD, obviously Mm -hmm. that's how I got to know him. And 
And um, that's when the R3 Hughes Career Achievement Awards yes. used to happen, which I know has morphed into the alumni, alumni honors. Um, so I used to have to spend a lot of time with him because we would yes. be interviewing these, uh, the people who'd be speaking on behalf of the alums right, to you know, celebrate them. And one of the best pieces of advice that I use now still to this day is he said to me, Nicole, what do you want people to say in the car on the way home? And I literally use that line in all my classes that I teach with my clients. And it was like one of those, like, stop in your tracks. Like, what is he? What are you what, Right. And it was amazing because when you go all the way to the end of an experience, then you can work backwards. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you want them to say, this is the most beautiful campus I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the aesthetics of the university. Right. We want to talk about the fact that these are the smartest graduates at the university. We're going to highlight those. Mm-hmm. From an event perspective, we talk about... Do we want them to be talking about the food or the entertainment or mm-hmm. the feeling like they belong or they've been honored? Mm-hmm. You can't always have all those things at an event because you don't have budget for them. Right. right. So where do you put your emphasis? And I have used that line for 20 plus years. Yep. And it literally sticks. In no, my that's head a good one. And that is a total yeah, Bob exactly. line. So Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought him up because he, he needs to get, you know, the recognition mm-hmm. for being, like mm-hmm. you said, so sage and, mm-hmm. and his wisdom. I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it's such a, uh, such a, like one of those little lines that just changed my career and yep. how I work with my own clients and sometimes it's interesting that they don't think about most people don't think about that right you know? and you can think about yourself leaving an event right. and where are you going to debrief or unload it's right. going to be in that Look, that hard. ride right. you know back home going wow that was amazing or I'll never attend that again exactly so exactly yeah so oh okay I love it um, alright so we know that you're working on some fun stuff here at the university. Let's talk a little bit about what you do in the community. I know that the Girl Scouts just honored you, so you're a cool woman. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, That was an award that um, came somewhat as a surprise. I do think that they look for women in the community that are doing things that are former Girl Scouts. And as I mentioned earlier, um, that was a huge part of my life growing up. Uh, My entire family, including my dad at one point, were registered Girl Scouts. I have three sisters, so it makes sense. But my family had received an award because we had the most registered Girl Scouts in a single family. Um, But my mother, who was hugely dedicated to Girl Scouting, um, I actually flew her down to be a part of the event. And when they presented me with my Cool Woman Award, which was really, again, about what are you doing to um, empower not not just girls, but certainly um, young girls, young women in careers or otherwise. Um, But how are you giving back? I had to acknowledge what my mom had done and and actually spoke about her in the early 70s, having received an award from the governor or the governor's office at the time for having an all um, disabled uh, Girl Scout troop. Challenges of some form or another, which had never been done. And so at the time I received my award, I actually dedicated it to her and barely made made it through without getting emotional. But um, it was very special. Um, But also what ended up happening is at the time that I went through Girl Scouting, I received the highest level of Girl Scouting. It was called the First Class Award, um, which was equal to, you know, the Boy Scouts Eagle Award. The fact we even have to say that is a 
problem, but um, otherwise people didn't know. And what Girl Scouts has been doing nationally, regardless of what the award, the highest award was called at the time you received it, they are sort of grandfathering you into having received the gold award, which is what the award is called today. Okay. So unbeknownst to me, they then surprised me on stage with presenting me with my gold award. So it was just an incredible, yeah, it was an incredible day, super exciting. I had a lot of colleagues um, that were there. We also had another individual who's very involved in USD, Jenny Nelson, receive a cool woman award. So law school turned out for that. Um, but it was very special. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then you're also very involved at um, the, the Academy, those. right? Academy of Our Lady of Peace. I'm the recent past chair. Um, that's the only all girls Catholic high school in San Diego. It's over 136 years old. Um, like I said, if you can't tell, I'm a little bit uh, pro girl here. And so we've been doing some incredible work uh, with OLP as well. And um, they are currently in a campaign right now to renovate some of these buildings that have never been renovated, which were part of an original estate from 1925. So, um, but that's, you know, my daughter graduated from OLP and I've seen the difference that it's made in, in young women's lives who go on to be just amazing adult women. What are you seeing in terms of women here on this campus? So young women, I don't know how much real student interaction you have probably on a daily basis. Not as much, so, yeah. Um, but maybe it's the young women who are working for you, but what are you seeing that's different with women today that than when you were the executive assistant at, at SeaWorld? So what, what's different in terms of their work styles or their attitudes or their talents? Um, I, I, I definitely think there's a sense of empowerment in probably a different way than certainly I had. Um, and I'd like to think that those of us who've gone before have paved the way and we continue um, to pave the way for for future generations. I mean, again, not to get into a lot of detail, but working for what was an, a beer company that owned the theme parks back in the early 80s. When you look at some of the issues around Me Too. You saw it all, I bet. I absolutely did. But you would never have felt comfortable um, in coming forward with a lot of things. And I'm not talking about the really, you know, salacious things that you hear about, but just everyday occurrences sure. that you kind of accept as the norm where you're realizing today, because the young women today aren't accepting it mm -hmm. and more power to them, um, just the way in which they're spoken to or, or attitudes. Um, so I, I think my biggest message for young women today though is, is, to appreciate mm -hmm. how far we've come. They may not know that it's not always been this yeah, way. Right. Um, so not to take that for granted, um, but to continue to work to make it better for what we know is going to be the next generation as well. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was first working here under your um, management, um, I used to always be impressed that you would sit at a table mostly of men mm -hmm. and you never questioned the fact that you belonged at that table. 
day. It wasn't like you were the add-on or the mm-hmm. special guest for mm-hmm. that particular day. Mm-hmm. But and, and that's definitely something I took into, especially working at a law firm where that was predominantly men. Mm-hmm. And I'd be sitting in a meeting with the managing partner or very high partners in the firm, and I never thought, oh, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. I, I always came with the attitude of, like, I've been hired for a job. I have this position, so therefore I belong at this table. And that always hasn't been like that. Right? Correct. But I think you're right. It is about the attitude. Yeah. Um, it's going into the room and owning it, mm-hmm. even if you're not feeling that way. Right. Um, I think that, you know, goes back to like, never let them see you sweat kind of thing. I do think um, if there is some advice to give to young women, sometimes because they feel like it is more of a transparent environment, I'm still um, very much keep certain things, you know, close to the vest here and in that... In that balancing of of work life um, situations, where I think sometimes um, less is more mm-hmm. when they're needing to, you know, take time off, you know, or I need I need this time. I may not need all the details, and sometimes. They're wanting to give up too much information. And I do think in this day and age, it still is different for men and women. Um, So how you manage your calendar and your schedule so that it doesn't always appear to be something that, I don't know, is childcare related. And I'm sorry if that sounds like them we're having to hold back, but um, typically men aren't doing that. So I feel like it's, you just need to know that I'm out, I'm scheduled out of the office. Um, and it may be because I'm going to my, my kid's soccer game. Right. right? Um, so how you manage that and the perception that you give, um, and with technology today, you should be available at any time. So how you present your availability and what you're managing at the same time, I think is critical. I, I, I'm not a big fan of work-life balance, particularly when we talk about um, mothers and work. Mm-hmm. I think that that feels not being a mom myself, so it could be a little outside of my expertise. But balance to me always feels like you're striving for this equal versus with if you can be in harmony. Yes, right? Where correct. Sort of nature is in harmony, right? It's trying to advance and kind of correct itself. And mm-hmm. sort of Mm-hmm. and flow, the tide of it all, right? So there's definitely been seasons, I'm sure, where you're so career-focused or there's a heavy project, but then there might be other seasons when you're a little more kid-focused, and that's more of a harmony than a than a like a true balance. Absolutely. And how many times have you been asked as a woman with a very high-profile position, like, how do you balance it all? Like, has your husband ever been asked that question? Yeah, probably not, yeah. right? Right, and so it's so interesting that we're still having that conversation. And I think that's a really good point. Nicole, because on any given day, you're right. One side's going to outweigh the other um, within a given week. And so I think that's how I prioritize it. Uh, And I would literally look at the family schedule, the children's schedule, knowing that I've got a finite amount of time with them you know, doing soccer or lacrosse or whatever it is. And especially as the kids got older, it was less about them wanting or needing me there. Like you think of when they're younger, it was about me wanting to be a part of that. So I started weighing it almost as 
as equal as, okay, I've got this meeting. I cannot miss that meeting. And you do whatever you have to do to make sure that happens. But I know at Thursday, you know, at four o'clock, there's a freshman football game and I am scheduled out of the office. <laughs> Someone wants you now. Yeah, exactly. That <laughs> See, was. That's, that's how important you are. That, we want you. Yeah, that yeah. was to remind me to do a boarding, a boarding pass. <laughs> um, but so you're totally right. Um, it really isn't. It's a balancing act. Yeah. Because, again, it's a teeter-totter where you're on any given day. And there will be those days that you definitely feel like you have done it better than others on both sides of the aisle, um, work and and home. Do you find that the women are the most judging, if you will, that's in air quotes, judging of time out of the office? Or do you think that would they be like, oh, there she goes again, kind of out of the office versus the men that you work with if you're out of the office for a personal mm-hmm. reason right four o'clock football game like do you get a sense of that still because I always feel like there's still like let's be sisters we're so supportive mm-hmm. to exactly. an extent you're out of the office at four o'clock for that football game and mm-hmm. I'm still here mm-hmm. having the, you mm-hmm. know, work 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 so there's still there's no, it's not perfect yeah it's not perfect I agree well I I have always tended to think women judge yeah. other women more harshly like I said and those decisions that they just make in life yeah you know oh well she's a stay-at-home mom well you know what good for her yeah right or you know she can't stay at home she's gotta work well okay yeah everybody's different and um in the end it's it's what are they bringing to the table to their families and to the workplace and if we were to support each other more I think we would all benefit a great deal um I think you're right about you know men because they generally know that it's probably their own wife that is struggling in that situation but that's why I said for any of those that um I've had work you know for me even men you know to to try to work at at being present wherever you're at because you're not a great employee when yeah. you're sitting in a meeting sulking knowing you're missing you know some championship game that your right. kid at age eight is never going to be in again right and technology like you said has certainly helped yeah you know I mean you can be answering emails on the sideline right if you need exactly to. You physically have to Do, be in this space right no, you're not tied to this space. right so right. learning how to sort of again that word balance take it for what it is but mm-hmm. it's just a, a constant sort of thing all right, Mrs. Well, this is all good, good stuff. Um, we always end the podcast with a um, rapid-fire question segment. Oof, this okay. First thing that comes to your mind. Okay. No, don't put a lot of okay. stress into okay. this, but here we go. Um, title of your Lifetime movie. She did it her way. Oh, I like it. Okay. If you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be? I don't know. You know, I don't, I, I'm not a big celebrity like watcher or I don't. Is someone doing good work right now? Is there someone you're like, oh, that woman's got it going on. Maybe not even a woman. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to get back to you on that. All right. Okay. When do you feel happiest? Oh, when I'm home and in my yard. Okay. If you were running for politics, what would be your biggest campaign promise? Um, 
It would be something around equal education for all girls. I like it. Ultimate dinner party. Which four guests do you invite and why? Oh, the entire band of you two. <laughs> Bono at the head table. Okay, got it. Right this minute, you have to get a tattoo. Mm. What are you get and why? What do I get and why? I mean, we know why your husband got here. Oh, yes. Eagles. And it, I was there for that. So it, it's, it's not that. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Maybe the birth dates of my children. Okay. Uh, biggest pet peeve in business? Mediocrity. Mm-hmm. When did your light shine the brightest? When I'm creating something new mm-hmm. and I'm thinking big. What is your wish for the next generation? <sighs> to be thinking about paving the way for the next generation behind them. Yeah. Know where you came from. Yes. Know what you can do, right? Exactly. And then what would you consider your big ask, either personal or professional, right this minute that we can help you with? I would love for people to consider being involved in this art exhibit at USD. Again, the um, Christ's Life, Death, and Resurrection exhibit of Italian Masters. If you want to be involved, please let me know. This is going to be a phenomenal um, exhibit. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. So what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? They can email me at cpetti, C-P-E-T-T-I, at San Diego. Any social media handles? Uh, my LinkedIn. Okay. What is that? LinkedIn. Just but it's yeah. just looking Corrine up Corinne Petty. Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes to my big ask for you to be on this podcast. You bet, um, Nicole. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. This is um, amazing. I really appreciate that, and it's it's just been a joy to spend this hour with you and to have been mentored by you um, in the very early days of my career, which I have taken on to um, hopefully do a few things to make the world a better place. So for that, I thank you, Corinne. So until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening and. Um, get out into the world and make your big ask. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ask Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ask Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask. Big Ask.